Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. It's so easy to get sidetracked and off task when it comes to the purpose of the church. And unfortunately, all too often, some Christians have treated serving Jesus as a spectator sport. Today's message is a call to come off the bench and into the game. The Apostle Paul will encourage Titus to stress the hope of the gospel as our motivation to serve Jesus with both care and devotion. Thanks for listening. Well, as the snow has melted away in the back of our little uh, townhouse, uh, we have three little above-ground plots for raised garden beds. And I went out this past week and took a look at them. And I remember early on, as I wanted to get, um, get my daughter Sadie involved in gardening, I knew that she would probably have a similar response as to how I did when I was young, which is to kind of roll your eyes and not be super excited about it. But I thought, ah, I know a way. I know a way to get her excited about it. I'll put her in charge. And it kind of worked. She was able to pick out whatever seeds that we were going to plant. And then as soon as she had this investment in the work, guess what? She was excited about it because no longer was it something that somebody else was doing. Now it was something that she got to do as well. Engagement is so important. Involvement is so crucial. Participation is so necessary if you are going to form your identity around that which you ought to be doing. The church struggles with this. And I looked up the statistics uh, this past week uh, that the number one reason why Christians who are plugged into the body of Christ, the number one reason why they leave the church, can you think what it is? It's because they are offended by somebody in the church. The number one reason why folks leave the church and don't come back is because they've they felt abuse or they felt uh, some form of offense that came from somebody inside. And that for them was more than enough for them not to want to return. However, there's a statistic that doesn't actually make it onto the data sheets. And it's those who don't stay in church at all. And that's because they never get plugged in. They never get invested. They never actually participate in the body life of the church. This is a crucial subject for us to look at. We're in a series that's entitled Do Good. And the title of today's message is Engagement. And it's a call to you. It is a call to me that says part of belonging to the family of God means that I have to get involved in what the church is doing. And do you know, for those who do get involved, they end up staying? So my hope this morning is that we're going to address both of the problems, the problem of offenses that happen within the church and the problem of needing to be engaged with one another to be doing the work of the church. And that's, that's my goal this morning. We're going to be in the book of Titus in the New Testament. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. If you don't have one, you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you. We're going to be uh, specifically wrestling with one verse, Titus chapter 3, looking in verse 8. But we're also going to spend a little bit of time just reading the context around this verse. However, this verse is going to be the primary one that we're going to sink our teeth into this morning. I actually have it up here on the screen as well. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to uh, follow along as I read it. Paul says to Titus, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things 
so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. All right, one one short little verse here right towards the end of Paul's letter. Let me fill in a little bit of the background for you. Uh, Titus is a Greek convert to the faith, to Christianity, and he lives in um, an island uh, community called Crete. Paul wants to see this little island of Crete with all of its um, shipping hubs to be a networked place where the church is able to reach those who come and go and come and go. However, there's a problem because the folks on the island of Crete have intermixed their understanding of the Greek faiths, the Greek uh, religion, the Greek gods with the Christian God. And so part of Paul's goal here is to encourage them to act the way Christians are supposed to act. Well, we, don't, we don't have that problem today, do we? That, that doesn't exist in America today, does it? No. That Christians need to be reminded to act the way Christians ought to act because we have a syncretistic society that has intermixed values of the culture with Christianity. This is the same problem we have today. And so as Paul writes, he describes for Titus a new kind of humanity, a, a new type of people. In chapter 2, he's going to list out how um, older men are to act and relate. Uh, Older women are to act and to carry themselves. Younger men and younger women. And he's going to work through even the structures within the, the, the ebbs and flows of employment for slaves and masters and whole households. Because if you're a Christian, you need to act like it. And to belong to the church means you need to get involved. So here, as we reach close to the end, these are the words that he leaves for us. And I want to draw out to you, see if you can identify what is the most important part of this short verse? What's the most important part? And, and there actually, there's a little marker that we're given. Uh, in, in, the, in the Greek language, it's, it's an indicator called a hina clause. And what it does is it answers the question, why? The little marker shows up right there with the word, so that. And so it really, really what it's doing is it's answering the question, why? So if we read through this, the call to Titus from Paul is, I want you to stress these things. And we might ask, why? Why, Paul, is it important to stress certain things that he has said previously in, in chapter 3, which we'll look at? And the reason is, and he gives a qualifier, first of all, so that those who have trusted in God... So we're going to qualify it. We're looking at a certain part of the population, a certain segment of people, so that they may be careful. So we're given um, an adjective here and then a prepositional clause to devote themselves to what? What do you think the most important part is? To doing what is good. The entirety of the scope of Paul's letter to Titus is designed so that the church will learn to stand firmly upon the gospel for the purpose of doing what is good. So this is what we're going to examine this morning. And I'd like to see if I can break it down for us to a few observations along with conclusions. The first is this. Doing good is sourced in God's kindness and mercy. So I have to look back again here at verse 8. Because you'll notice he doesn't start with the command. He starts with 
uh, actually something very unique to Paul. If you've ever studied Paul, he says at the beginning of, of verse eight, this is a trustworthy saying. Does your Bible say that? You, you follow along? Is that what your says? This is a trustworthy saying. Now, um, many people are, are trying to find out, well, what, what is Paul? What's so trustworthy that you're willing to identify it for us to build upon? There are a few times, in fact, I'm aware of uh, one specific where Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and then he says the saying, but that's not the case here. When Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, he's actually referring to what he has already said. So if we're going to uncover what that is, we've got to back up a little bit. Can you, can you go back with me in chapter 3? If you have your Bibles, just look back up the page. To, we'll start in verse 4. So chapter 3, starting in verse 4, watch what he says. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Do you get it? You you guys track with me there? What what we have starting in verse 4 is nothing short of the gospel. It's the gospel message. It's what this week is all about. A little show of hands. Let's see if we have honest folks in church. Who has sin in their lives? A couple hands went up quick. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Sin is that which removes us from fellowship with God. It's that which separates you from his love. Now, God is a fair judge. By being fair, it means that sin must be paid for. And in the beginning, he declared to our great grandma and grandpa in the garden, That if you eat of this tree, meaning that if you rebel against God's will and word, in the day that you eat of it, you will what? You will die. And so the New Testament writers, Paul also teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And so God, in his justice, must hold sin accounted for in the human creature. And he does. He does for you. He does for me in the person of Jesus to die in our place there on the cross. As Paul is working through teaching Titus to encourage the church on this little island, he wants them to be grounded, first of all, in God's kindness and in God's mercy that has been described to us in the gospel message. So before we can even get into, hey, you need to do good. How are you doing good? What are you doing this week that's good for you? Before you can even get there, you have to start where where doing good is sourced. It very simply means this. You will fail at doing good unless it's being drawn from what God has already done. Are we on the same page with that? Give me an amen if you're good with that. Yeah. So you, you and I, we will fail at trying to do good unless it starts, unless it's sourced from the love and the mercy and the kindness that God has already done for you and for me. Number two is this. Doing good requires regular repetition of the gospel. I don't know if uh, you are like me, 
but I easily forget things. <laughs> Most of all, announcements on Sunday morning. So I tend to forget, forget those quite often. Um, uh, we actually have uh, an active agent against our remembering in this world. The evil one is going to continue to try to bring accusation and condemnation against you such that you will fail to hold on to the grace of God and you'll seek to replace it with some type of righteousness that you earn from yourself. Now, I kind of said that a little quick. It's basically this. You don't want God's love. You might think you do. But the flesh that's within you and the lies that come from the evil one, they continually try to move us to do it on our own, to say we are capable on our own, to think I've achieved something on my own. And this is why Paul has to say very next line in verse 8. So go with me one more time to verse 8 of chapter 3. After he gets done saying, this is a trustworthy saying, and identifying Titus's attention back to the gospel. You know what he says right after that? I want you to stress these things. Now, this word stress, this this word that he uses literally means to insist emphatically. It means to assert confidently. It means to affirm with strength. It's the type of thing that you do when um, you you see somebody in danger. Imagine that um, as we walk out of church this morning, there's a wolf. In the parking lot. Imagine. Terrible fangs. Devourous wolf. Now you you walk out and there you see one of our church members walking. They don't see the wolf and the wolf starts to charge at them. What are you going to (laughs) do? You you know how quick that came? That was like a split second. You're going to shout. Right? You're going to scream. You're going to be like, hey, hey. You're going to do everything you can because you see the danger. And so you are going to insist with strength, with, con- with uh, conviction that this is what you need to look at. You need to be aware of this. That's the exact word that he uses here when it comes to the gospel. Because the gospel is the warning for us. It's the answer for us. It's the antidote for us against a self-derived form of righteousness that will lead you only to hell. If you and I let go of the grace of God, do you know what you have left? You have what you can do. How's that working out for you? Anybody make it through this week without sin? Anybody make it through this morning without sin? Yeah, we need to be reminded of this often, often, often. I wrote down, uh, I, I wrote down in terms of this repetition three reasons why. Uh, number one, I said for the sake of the gospel, meaning the exclusivity of the gospel. Why does Paul... In order to do good for the Christians in Crete, why does Paul need to remind Titus to remind them regularly with confident, emphatic repetition? Why does he have to continue to do this? Number one, because there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no other name. Now, people are going to offer things. Many people are going to bring other options. Ah, have you tried this? Oh, have you heard of this new religion? Or you know what? I just think it's the way you feel and however you feel is fine. Um, We have that happening today. A myriad of false gospels. And so do you know what we need? We need to be regularly hearing the repetition of the one True gospel. That's the first thing I wrote down. Second, I said was because good works are actually hard to do. 
and it's easy to get discouraged. Have you ever tried to, re- I mean, really tried to say, Lord, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you, Lord. In light of your mercies, I offer you my body as a living sacrifice. I just want to serve you. Do you know what you, do you, know what you just did to yourself when you said that? You just put a target right on your back. The evil one is not worried about the world. The evil one doesn't even blink an eye about the folks that are following after their flesh. You know the ones that he wants to discourage? It's those who are trying to do good. And so do you know what we need to be reminded of? We need to be reminded regularly with repetition of the good news of the gospel. And the third reason I wrote down is because without the reminder of the gospel, it's just so easy for us to make uh, false motives for doing good. In fact, I can be guilty of this as well. I, I hope you never hear it because we're, we're seriously in a long series on do good. And I hope you remember. The reason is because we want to see God flood this church with new believers. That's why we want to do good. But what I'm afraid maybe sometimes you might leave on a Sunday morning is hearing, I guess God doesn't love me because I'm not doing good. Ooh, that's not true at all. And so you might incorrectly think, in order for God to love me, I got to make sure I do what the pastor said. I got to make sure that I start doing good. I think you got it backwards. No one has ever earned God's favor by doing good. Instead, we do good from God's favor. The good works we do, they're not for his love. They're from his love. And so we need, to very, we need to make sure, we need to be reminded regularly of the gospel so that we don't fall into these false ways of thinking to do good for performance-based salvation or for maybe appeasement of God, right? Th- think of that. I know that there are some Christian faiths that kind of teach it's a, it's a balancing act. You know, why, why do you get to go to heaven? Well, because my good deeds, help me out here, my good deeds outweigh my have you ever thought that way? Have you, have you ever known anybody who, who thinks that way? Yeah. That's why we need to be reminded regularly of the true gospel. Number three is this. Doing good is a Christian expectation. This is what's expected of us. Let me, let me draw your attention to verse eight one more time. After he says, I want you to stress these things, he qualifies it. There's our hint of clause. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves. So who, who are we talking to here? Say it, not a trick question. Who are we talking to? You guys awake this morning? Let's say it together. Who are we talking to? Christians. We're talking to Christians. This is the expectation for being a Christian. Look what the verse said. I want you to stress these things so that those who've trusted in God will be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Right? That, is that you this morning? Are, are you somebody who trusts in God? Because you, you have a call to participate then. You, you have a call to get plugged in then to the life and the ministry of the church. There, there's a passage we looked at last Sunday. I, I just want to remind, it, remind you of it as well, because this is the same thing that Paul says in other places when it is the call to do good. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Who, who knows this? Who has been shown this? 
Turn to your neighbor and say, you have. All right, turn to your other neighbor and say, so have you. (laughs) This is the expectation for Christians. Doing good is not optional. I can think of um, a couple times as I, in my own maturity journey, have needed a kick in the pants to get, uh, to get involved a little bit more. I think of a, a particular job that I did uh, when I was in high school, re-ceramicking the inside of dust cyclones at a foundry. That, that was a crazy job, right? But uh, to start off, I didn't, I didn't really want to do anything, mainly because I didn't know what to do. And the foreman on the, on the job site had to, hey, hey, flunker, get busy now. Come on, this is your job, let's go. What are, you, what are you sitting around for? Come on, let's go. Now, what if we did that in church? A little kick in the pants. Who needs a kick in the pants? Anybody? Like you, you and I are here for a reason. You're here to get involved in the game. Don't sit on the sideline. There's no bench sitters in church. Each one of you, we, we read this, uh, Rosanna read this for us, right? Out of 1 Corinthians 12. Each one of you, has a manifestation of the Spirit that's given for the common good. Each one of you. We need to make sure that we're using that which God has given us. Fourthly is this. Doing good requires careful devotion. I'm going to spend an extra minute on this one. I, I want to really settle here because this is an emphasis that Paul gives when it comes to doing good. If you look with me back once more into verse 8, he says, qualifying that those who have trusted in God may what? Be careful to devote themselves to doing good. Now, here, here's the idea behind this. The word careful is the idea of thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. Uh, show of hands, how many people uh, this morning, as you're getting ready for church, just went into the closet and just blindly picked out clothes? Show of hands, anybody? Just, <laughs> I got one hand in the back. <laughs> My guess is that for the majority of you, you put some attention into that which you were going to clothe yourself in. There was some thoughtfulness. There was some care involved with how you were going to dress yourself. There, there was a problem in the first century, and I think a problem that happens today, is that we as Christians falsely think that people are going to be impressed with us for the wrong reasons. Do you know that God doesn't care what you look like? He, he, he's, he's no respecter of persons. He doesn't show favoritism. You don't impress God if you wear a three-piece suit. You, you don't make him think you're cool if you wear ripped jeans either. God, doesn't, God does not care about those things. Instead, there's a different way by which you ought to clothe yourself. We have this passage that comes in 1 Timothy, uh, speaking specifically to women who are seeking to draw attention to their outward appearance. Look at what Paul says. He says, I want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, that's our verb, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with what? Yeah, you, you need to clothe yourself with good deeds. And my challenge to you is that if, if you put care and thoughtfulness into how you dressed yourself this morning, do you put care and thoughtfulness in how you serve your neighbor? Because that's the, that's the command in verse 8 of Titus. That you would be careful. You'd be thoughtful. Now there, there's another uh, word that's used here. It's the word devote. Uh, careful to devote yourself. So it requires careful devotion. 
Uh, this word uh, devotion in another translation is the word engagement, that you would be carefully engaged. Now, I wonder if you can think like me, uh, what other event in, in society happens with those two words, engagement and devotion? I'll give, give you a little clue here, right? Uh, one of these, right? Uh, if you've ever, uh, gentlemen, gotten down on one knee and, and proposed to that bride of yours, uh, you will know how very serious she took it. Um, how do you think your fiancé would feel if you forgot you were engaged? Ooh, what? Oops. I forgot. I forgot we were engaged. Have we ever done that with God? Have we ever gotten so blinded by our own agendas that we forgot we were supposed to be carefully engaged or devoted to doing good works. Look, if the metaphors are true for us in how we pick out our clothes and give thought to that, the metaphors are true for us in the way that we stay pledged to our betrothed, understand that that's the exact same language that Paul is using, that we clearly get in other spheres of our life for how he wants the church to be participating in good works. Number five is this. Doing good is guaranteed a good return. If you look a little further with me into verse 8, Paul says, after the command to do what is good, he says, these things are excellent and profitable. <laughs> Two fantastic words there. Um, commentators have uh, slightly differed over what the antecedent is, what the reference of things is you'll notice that if you look up at the beginning of verse 8, he says, I want you to stress, and you have the word these things. And then at the end of verse 8, you have, again, these things. So some, some think that the these things he's referring to here are uh, the gospel again, that the gospel is profitable and excellent. And, and that's true. That's absolutely true. But the majority of commentators uh, have in agreement that he's actually here changing the antecedent not to refer to the gospel as excellent, but good works are excellent. Doing good is excellent and profitable. Anybody invest in Bitcoin? Anybody? You bet anyone wish they invested in Bitcoin like 10 years ago? Yeah. Uh, how about Amazon? That's, a, that's pretty successful option there, right? What if I told you this morning that I knew of an investment you could make guaranteed good return? Anyone interested? I mean, I got it from the source. It's going to give you an amazing return. Anyone interested in that? That's the same idea that Paul is saying here. These things, meaning devoting yourself, being careful to do good, the results are excellent. The results are profitable. I promise you, I promise you that if you take that step of faith and say, Lord, how would you use me? And you put that target on your back and you seek to serve your neighbor in the love of Jesus Christ. The work that is accomplished by your hands that have now become Jesus's hands. The return is going to be excellent. The return is going to be profitable. And I hope that's an encouragement to you today, because as I look at this passage, I want to say, God, thank you for giving us a guarantee. Thank you that in your mercy, even though sometimes it doesn't look like it's going good, you have promised it will be good. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, he works all things together for good. For the good of those who are called according to his 
purpose. So there's our qualifier. We need to make sure that we are about his purpose and we're guaranteed a good return. Sixthly and lastly, doing good requires a missional direction. I hope, I hope the sermon notes are helpful for you. Um, I don't know if you recognize the pattern that I put here. I, I wanted to include from this text observations and conclusions that switch between the characteristic of good works and what's required for good works. So doing good is, doing good requires, doing good is, doing good requires, doing good is. And lastly, doing good requires a missional direction, a missional focus. So if we finish up verse 8, you can help me out here. Doing good is excellent and profitable for who? Just the church? No, everyone. In fact, I want you to see how this isn't something that I'm just interpreting from verse 8. If you back up with me to the beginning of chapter 3, go, go to the beginning of chapter 3. Just look here in verses 1 and 2. I have it up on the screen as well so you can read it. Paul says, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, and to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards who? Do you see the arrow? Do you see the direction? It's not just serve those who can serve you back. It's not just do good to those who are only in the family of God. We need to emphasize that. We need to make sure we get it right here before it's going to work out there. But if we're ever truly going to be about good works, we have to know that this is the, this is the strategy of God. This is the vehicle God's designed to reach the nations. It's to everybody. It's to do good and be, therefore be profitable for everybody. So doing good requires a missional focus. I want to leave you with just a couple of thoughts here as we look to application. If we're going to do this right, if you're going to apply one little verse to your life this week, I want to give you three ways of doing that. The first, I want to talk about roots. So just like the garden that me and Sadie plant, the only way we get fruit, right, the only way we get vegetables is if the plant is rooted. If the, if, the, if the plant's not rooted, then you know what happens when it rains? Falls right over. You know what happens when it winds, when the wind blows? And you'll, not, you'll not see any fruit from that if, you don't, if you're not rooted. So how is it that a plant gets rooted? Well, number one, it takes time. It needs good soil. It needs water. It needs nutrients. It needs sunlight. Now, we're all big boys and girls in here. If you and I are going to be rooted in the gospel, what does that take? Well, it takes time. It takes the nutrients of the Spirit of God working in our lives. It takes the good soil of having a fellowship of believers around us to help us collectively understand those things that we don't really get and we need help with. And most of all, it takes the Holy Spirit, the sunshine, to illumine our hearts that we will see what is true. There's a beautiful verse that comes in Colossians. Paul says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing in thankfulness. Uh, there, there's one other uh, part of this application that I want to draw your attention to because it's not just being rooted. It's also root yourself in the personal truth of the gospel. I feel like this one needs a little bit of emphasis. 
It's easy to come to church and leave. I didn't hear any amens on that. That makes me feel really glad. <laughs> it's easy, though. It's easy to just come to church and then, and then just leave and, and go about your day and feel like, ha, I checked my Christian box for the week. And that's it for you. You need to hear that the gospel is not for somebody else. It's for you. God loves you. And the more that that message begins to infect your heart, the more you're going to see good works begin to grow because it's rooted in the truth. It's grounded in the faith of the gospel. And so I wanted to try something just as an experiment with us this morning. I wanted us to say the crystal clear message of the gospel, but I want you to say it to yourself. It's this message. Jesus has saved me. Can we say that together? Ready? Jesus has saved me. One more time. Jesus has saved me. Isn't that good to hear? Is that a good reminder? It's not just for someone else. That's for you. And so if you and I are going to be about good works in this world, this world of pluralistic options for the gospel, false teaching and all kinds of rubbish, stinking things up, if you're going to be of good works, it starts by being rooted in the personal truth of the gospel. Second is this, ruts. Um, I was visiting a friend this week, driving into his driveway, and my uh, tiny little pickup truck hit that clay and went. Anybody else? Breakup season? Anybody else have a little bit of ruts in your life? Here's the problem with ruts. You want to avoid them, but they want to find you. That's the problem with ruts. And once they're there, they're hard to get out of. Paul helps Titus. As he gives him this command, right? You need to be careful to devote yourself to doing what is good. He's then going to give him a way to protect himself from running into the bad patterns that, of, that offenses happen. The, the, the stupid little things whereby we get offended at one another. And then even as we were trying to get plugged in, well, now this person said this thing or wrote this thing or I can't get over it. And it, you know what? As much as you want to get over it, it kind of jumps on your back like a monkey, right? It kind of, you, you don't even want it with you. How do we get rid of those things? How do we avoid these ruts that want to draw us into a stop and off the path that God wants us to be on? Well, Paul gives it to us in the next verse. Look with me in verse nine. Here's the command. He says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, the, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon he has this little quote I want to share with you he says never stop a plow to catch a mouse that's good isn't it well why because the harvest which the community depends on rests on the plow and if you stop the plow the greater work ends is the mouse a problem yeah, the mouse is totally a problem. But there's something bigger we got to be about, folks. There's something more important that we got to devote our attention to. So be very careful stopping the main, the main effort, the main show for this tiny little problem that's, that's showing up. By the way, you're always going to have them. I'm sorry to tell you, but that's part of sinful human nature. Those mice are always going to be there, which is kind of like mice in general, right? You're always going to have them. Make sure you don't take your eye off the main thing. Don't stop the plow to catch a mouse. I think that this is only a, a problem. I was talking with a, a fella at our men's prayer breakfast yesterday. 
I think this is only a problem when the church is too comfortable. When you have it so good, do you know what we fight over? Not big things, little things. When I, when I was on the mission field, I got to tell you, we, it was a tough job. There was a lot of work that needed to be done. And very, very rarely did we ever worry about this, the, the little tiny differences that make people want to just argue and say, we're a better church than them people and just fight and divide. Those most weren't a problem at all because we had a lot of work to do. A gentleman I was talking to was talking about golf courses and how, how uh, the, the, the one here in town, well, they changed this thing and I don't like it because they changed it. And he said, oh, yeah? Go, how about you go check out some of these other really dumpy golf courses and then you know what you'll be thankful for? You'll be thankful for the one that you have. But that's our problem. When we're too comfortable, we start to pick on little things that, that don't matter at all and the whole large thing gets in a rut and gets stuck. So what does Paul say? Let's just read it one more time. Verse 9, avoid controversies. He calls them foolish controversies. And genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. There's all kinds of things that theologians and Christians love to fight over. You're going to get stuck in a rut unless you learn to avoid those things. So we have roots, we have ruts. Number three and lastly is this, weeds. Now a weed is a little different. As Sadie and I plant our garden, invariably somebody came and planted weeds. What kind of a stinker came in there and planted those weeds? You know what the weeds do to the plants that we want to see grow? They choke them out. So that that little plant that was trying to be rooted, it was trying to be rooted, it dies. Because all the nutrients that were for it are stolen by the weed. And see, do you you know what she and I do? We get down on our knees and very carefully we pull out the weeds. I want you to look in verse 10. The very next one, Paul says, Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, I don't think Paul says that he's uh, um, a child of hell or a child of the devil. What I do think the emphasis is, is that this is a measure of immaturity that shows the spirit is not reigning in the life of this individual. Instead, sin is reigning in the life of this individual. And that's what the devil wants. If the devil can overcome you with sin, meaning that you've lost sight of the gospel, you will turn into the type of person that actually occupies the scheme of the devil. Do you know the devil's scheme As the devil looks at the church, if he has a playbook on Sunday, right? And he's going to flip and call the play out to the quarterback. Do you know what the devil's scheme is? It's division. It's division. Jesus knows this. Jesus says, and and when you pray, pray, forgive us our sins as we, help me out, forgive those who sin against us. If If we did that, if we did that right, We'd see unity. You're able to fight and win against the devil's schemes. But every now and then, even within the church, you have a weed. You have somebody who's occupied by their desire and they wish not to bring the people of God together. They try to, ah, what about this issue? Have you heard of post-millennialism? Have you heard of whatever it might be? Dispensational, whatever it might be. Now, 
I'm going to get myself in trouble talking about those. But whatever the theology might be, we need to be very careful that we don't allow those things that we could quarrel about to divide us. And so, confront it. It's not a fun thing to do, but it needs to be confronted. Paul says, warn them once, warn them a second time, and after that, you need to sometimes make distance in your life. All right, let me wrap this up. I hope that these three you'll be able to identify application into your life. Maybe you need to be more rooted in the good news of the gospel. I hope you want to do good. I hope that our church is like, yeah, man, I'm ready from sermon number one, but keep them coming because we need to be reminded that this is the avenue by which God has made for the nations to know the love of the gospel. I want to do that. I need God's help to do that well. Number one, I gotta be rooted in the truth of the gospel. Number two, hey, stay on the main thing. Don't chase the mice. Stay focused on what we're here to do. And number three, if there's folks in your life that are divisive, maybe confront them. Be willing to confront them. Or forgive and get over it. Just get over it. There's no reason to bring this up. They're just a person. We're all stupid. Get over it from time to time. And if you can't, you might have to set up a boundary in your life because God has a work that he's called you to get engaged in. If this thing is going to work right, we all We all have a role to play. Amen? Let's pray.